Well, that's one thing I like about the fishery. There's not one day's the same. Every day's different. Whether it's the weather, whether it's the fish, whether it's predation by seals or whether it's birds, every day is different. This is Fishtales, a seafood podcast. I'm John Sussman. The world of commercial fishing is changing rapidly. The entry into the category from the big end of town has seen a rapid explosion in the investment in technology, industry aggregation and capacity. Quite simply, the big fish in the industry are getting bigger. However, there is a growing movement of artisanal fishers whose small-scale, low-technology, low-capital fishing practices, mostly undertaken by individual fishing households, are being recognised and revered by the best chefs. The commercial Lakes and Coorong fishery, which operates at the end of the Murray-Darling Basin, where the river system meets the Southern Ocean, is exclusively an artisanal fishery. Encompassing a diverse range of freshwater, estuarine and marine habitats and communities, this multi-gear fishery targets a range of species, including pippies, known in the Coorong part of the world as the Coorong cockle, mulloway, yellow-eye mullet, black brim, greenback flounder, golden perch and bony brim, as well as the introduced fish species of European carp and redfin perch. From its humble subsistence-based beginnings in the mid-19th century, the fishery has remained pretty much the same since. Gary Harrising has been a commercial fisher in the Lower Lakes and Kurong fishery for over 40 years, a third-generation fisher on his father's side and a fifth-generation fisher on his mother's side. His family came to the Lower Lakes in the 1930s. Gary lives and grew up in the Meningi area, 400 metres from Lake Albert. My name is Gary Harrising. Uh, I'm a commercial fisher on the Coorong, which is two hours south of Adelaide and well known for uh, bird sanctuary and great fishing area. Yeah, my grandfather on my father's side was a fisherman um, and he was the first guy that I worked for after I left school in 1974. And my grandfather on my mother's side, uh, he was a fifth generation from Victor Harbour, where they were originally whalers uh, back in the late 1850s. So yes, I do have a long history in the fishing industry. Uh, well, they eventually uh, originally were German descendants and migrated to Australia. Um, and they came to Victor Harbour and started fishing there well, the uh, South Australian Whaling Company started up in the 1850s and they were looking for workers. And uh, apparently one of the rumbelows at the time uh, volunteered for the job to be a whaler. And, uh, and my grandfather often said that that was back in the days when boats were made of wood and men were made of steel. I've never forgotten it as a kid. On my father's side, uh, he was uh, a fisherman back in the 20s and 30s, uh, right up until uh, he retired in the late 70s. But I, I worked, started working for him in 1974. It was my first job out of school. But I'd always, as a child, um, school, every school holidays, every weekend, I was... 
around boats, around nets, around fish, always working. And of course, we had no money in those days. And my grandfather used to pay me handsomely for working for a weekend. Used to work about 20 hours for five shillings. So we thought we were kings. Mullet, mulloway, brim, flounder, depending on the season, a lot of the a lot of the fish were seasonal, except for the mullet, they were pretty much all year round. Um, but the mulloway, the brim and the flounder, they were very seasonal and very much over the warmer months, spring and summer. Although modern technologies and materials have adopted, changes to fundamental fishing practices have been relatively superficial when compared to the advances made in many other commercial fisheries. This reflects the unique characteristics of the lakes and Kurong region and a desire from the commercial industry and government to contain effective fishing levels within the historical and sustainable limits. The style of fishing and the habits, the way we fish, nothing's changed in the last, well the fishery is 168 years old and it's pretty much the same. Um, the only thing that's changed is that where my grandfathers used to use sailing boats, where well, we use boats with outboards, and where they used to make their own net out of cotton and hemp, we now make, uh, or we now buy nets out of monofilament. So the technology's improved with the gear, but the method is still the same. Before seals took over the fishery 13 years ago, we used to go and set our nets in a straight line over preferred habitat, whether it be sand or rock or mud bottom, depending on the lunar phase where you were fishing, uh, what the river flows were like, uh, and then you set your nets just on dark and then you'd be back there just before daylight in the morning to pick them up. But now with seals, we just set the nets, uh, hope that they don't find them in two or three hours and then pull them up. So a lot of extra work. Um, and not so many fish. The Kurong is a uniquely melodic word for a unique place. The original Aboriginal residents of the Kurong region traditionally fished the rich marine, estuarine and freshwater resources of this highly productive ecosystem. They still live here, preserving the legends and sharing them with the visitor. Less than three kilometres wide, the Kurong consists of shallow lagoons separating the Southern Ocean and the Young Husband Peninsula with a total length of about 140 kilometres. Australia's largest river system, the Murray-Darling, finishes its journey to the sea in a broad and shallow freshwater lake system. Lake Alexandrina and Lake Albert cover about 85,000 hectares and were originally semi-tidal estuaries. It's a truly magical place. Well, I like the isolation. Uh, and the Kurong has so many moods, it doesn't matter. Every time you go there, you see the Kurong in a different light, a different mood, and it just, uh, for your own mental well-being, it is very, very soothing just to be out there on the water and, and doing your own thing. <clears throat> How it's changed is probably the fact of less and less river flow and the whole system prior white man the Kurong used to get a drink every year and so now with over allocation over extractions issues in the whole Murray-Darling Basin the Kurong doesn't get a drink as regularly or as or as much as it used to pre-white man which has had a profound impact on 
the whole ecosystem. Birds, fish, they all rely on fresh water for some stages of their growth or, or recruitment. And so the less water you provide, uh, the less fish there are, the less birds there are. And so where I was a kid 50-odd um, years ago, we used to count fish by the tonne and birds by the acre. Now we count fish by the kilos and birds you can count on two hands. The change has been that dramatic. Where the fishery is quite unique is that we have a freshwater system, we have a Coorong system which is either estuarine or marine, and then we have uh, the ocean adjacent to the Coorong which is a marine system. So it's Generally, at any point in time, one, one ecosystem is, has fish, whether it be in the lakes, whether it be yellowfin perch or whether it be redfin or whether it be carp or bony brim or in the Coorong, whether it's mullet or mulloway or whether it's brim or flounder and then on the ocean beach where it can be the mulloway or whether you can harvest pippies on the ocean beach. So there's always one part of the fishery that's 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 firing at some point in time. So a lot of guys choose to just be freshwater fishers, some guys choose to be just Coorong fishers, and some guys just choose to be uh, pippy fishers or ocean beach fishers, or there's some like me that do a bit of everything. You know, I fish a bit in the lake, I fish a bit depending on the season and the time of the year, mostly in the winter months, I fish in the freshwater component, summertime, fish in the Coorong. Um, there are other guys that do a little bit of pippy fishing and a little bit of rain scale fishing. So there's guys that have rotated and, and that's one good aspect of the fishery. There's what we call a, a rotational harvest strategy. Um, and so guys just move around where the fish are most plentiful. Um, that's where they fish. And depending on price as well. Yeah, the last probably 20 years, I suppose, uh, I've spent most of my time in the Coorong and mostly fishing for mullet and mulloway and a little bit of brim and a little bit of flounder fishing but mostly mulloway and, and, and mullet. Yellow eye mullet is considered to be the best bait for capturing larger, more exotic species. But the yellow eye mullet from the Coorong holds a unique place in the world of fine dining. Its sweetness and bright iodine notes are not found in yellow eye mullet from other regions. For fishers, chefs and consumers who know and have experienced it, Coorong mullet is the special fish. Yeah, well, I've, I've tried uh, eating the yellow eye mullet uh, in other states and people just consider it as bait. I've tried eating it in other parts of South Australia and frankly it tastes like garbage or crap. <laughs> but in the Coorong and I attribute the different taste and flavours of the, the yellow eye mullet in the Coorong mostly to the type of foods that they eat um, and so that, and also the time of the year when there's not so much fresh water flow when there's more of a salty regime um, the fish seem to taste better and I never get sick of them we have a couple of feeds a week um, and uh, they're just a good eat, eating fish, boneless fillet. I like a pan fried. Uh, we use uh, rice bran oil. 
um, and just fish dipped in a bit of egg batter, just egg with a little bit of milk, salt and pepper to taste, uh, and quickly fried in a, in a pan, probably 45 seconds each side at the most. But yeah, just eat them and eat them and eat them and eat them and eat them until I can't eat anymore. Fishing across seasons for a range of species in the varied water geographies that he does makes Gary's day at the office as varied as could be found for a commercial fisherman. Well, that's one thing I like about the fishery. There's not one day is the same. Every day is different, whether it's the weather, whether it's the fish, whether it's predation by seals or whether it's birds or whether it's, it doesn't matter. It, every day is different. Some days are warm, some days are bloody cold, and I hate the cold weather as I get older. Never used to worry me as a young buck, but every day is different, and that's what I like about going to work every day. But in the summer months, we start early, probably 4, 4.30, uh, work till probably 9, 30, 10 o'clock, uh, bring the fish in. They're all in ice slurries. We pack them, depending on what prices are like, depending on what orders I have where the fish go, whether it's Sydney, Melbourne or Adelaide. So a bit goes everywhere. And also to the local processors here in Meningi. And then um, we get fuel, we get more ice, get whatever supplies we need. Uh, attend to just paying a few bills, whatever needs to be done in that four or five hours. And then we head back out about three, three o'clock in the afternoon um, it's about a half hour, 40 minutes drive to where I operate from and uh, we either set nets or we start fishing again until after dark. Uh, come back to my little shack, Rumbelow's hut, where we have a sleep for a few hours and then we start the process again. It is and it's very intense. And I've chosen to work that way because I find it much easier to get out of bed when the temperature is 20 degrees in the morning with a t-shirt on than when it's winter time and it's below 10 degrees, it's freezing cold and you've got a wind off the land and easterly and it doesn't matter how many clothes you put on and how much waterproof gear you put on and how many beanies you put on, you're still bloody cold. It's an artisanal fishery. It's, uh, it's still very basic and I... Um, I mean, all I've done is is work, work, and work a bit more. Although the term artisanal conjures up a vision of a lone fisherman slowly plying his craft purely th for the love of his job, the commercial reality of living in the 21st century demands Gary has an eye not only on the weather, but on how efficient and profitable his operation is. I started off just like most of the other fishers in those days as a lifetime, as a lifestyle fisher. Uh, that had to change when cost recovery was implemented and we had to make money. That changed. That was a big change. Um, I was also uh, a Monday to Friday type fisher, uh, regardless of whether it was weather or or lunar phases and then after a period of time I learnt that if you want to get the best bang for your buck or you want to get the most return for your effort you need to start using the weather patterns, the weather cycles, the times of the year, water temperature, lunar phases, you need to have all those 
corralled up and moving in the same direction as you to try and get the best return for your effort. And so therefore, you, you, if you do it right, you'll actually probably catch just as many fish in four or five days as you will working seven days a week. So that was, that was a, a learning curve, but it was also an adaptive process. And, and management changes for the fishery, they're constantly changing all the time. The recreational sector seemed to be um, dominating the political landscape, so you're always modifying where you're allowed to fish, what type of gear you're allowed to use, uh, where, um, where you can operate, and seasonal changes, area closures, there's all these things that are introduced these days which were never around 40, 50 years ago. The world of commercial fishing is at a crossroads. Whilst many fisheries are in decline or even distress, the lakes and Kurong fisheries seem set for a long and prosperous future. Much of it due to the commitment and perseverance of the current group of artisanal fishers. Well, the, the, the fishing industry and particularly the Southern Fishermen's Association has spent an enormous amount of time on addressing the degradation of habitat issues for the Coorong in particular. And since the federal government through the Commonwealth Environmental Water Holders Office uh, had bought water for the environment, there is now a specific bucket of water allocated for the Coorong every year, regardless of whether there's rains or not in the, in the basin. So that has been a massive turnaround and I've seen a significant increase in the health, particularly of the estuary area of the Coorong, in the last 10 years, 12 years. It's been a significant improvement in bird numbers and fish numbers in those areas. And so um, instead of fisheries management here in South Australia is about controlling fishermen and not actually about addressing the degradation of habitat issues, and the fishermen have taken that issue on board and we've made significant improvements with that bucket of water and how we manage it and had a significant amount of input into how that water is released into the Coorong and particularly the time of the year that it's released to try and get the optimal ecological benefits. And it has worked. As, as long as there's not any radical political intervention and I think as time goes by and particularly with the impact of COVID, this country can't afford to keep persecuting small business. Um, as long as the fishery and the stocks are sustainable, uh, I see no reason why this fishery can't go on for another 168 years. And I guess this is one aspect that people don't appreciate is while the recre recreational sector may be 25% of the population and catch their own fish, co commercial fishers' job is to supply that other 75% of the population that can't or prefer not to fish, and that's our job. So as long as there's money in it and and a good, healthy lifestyle, uh, you'll find people all the time. We have lots of new entrants uh, in the last 10 years. Probably a third of the fishery is now young fellas, which I think is really healthy. Asking a fisherman what has been the highlight of their career, more often than not, the response is based on the size of their catch or the commercial return they've seen. It is rare and special fishermen who respond with their highlight being to regenerate the environment in which he works and to actively pursue building a better, stronger and more robust flora and fauna for the future. 
Seeing the health of the Coorong turn around, um, it has been pr- probably since 1979-80 um, and then mouth closure in 81 uh, and probably for the next decade after that, the Coorong was really on a spiral downwards ecologically. I mean, the birds had disappeared, the fish were in very low numbers. Salinity in the water uh, in the Coorong, in a large part of the Coorong, more than 50% of the Coorong, was in excess of five times that of seawater. And so nothing could, could live. Just had a few insect larvae and, uh, and a, an aquatic weed called rupia that had a high tolerance to salt, but now is in seriously low numbers. Um, from that point on, and then there were management changes and, and fisheries management's all about people management and not about addressing the degradation of habitat issues. And so then industry got involved. And so what we've seen over a long period of time, probably the best part of 30 years, we've actually, I've seen the Coorong change the corner and turn around and things are picking up. There is now, uh, and particularly with the high flow that we've had in the last year and a half, and looks like continuing for at least another uh, six months or so, and reminds me very much of the mid-70s. I started in 74, it was a high flow period of 74, 75, and 76, and some of the best fishing was the next three years after that. So um, with now government having a focus, and particularly the Department of Environment and SA Water, all having an objective to try and improve the health of the Coorong. So everybody's on the same page. That wasn't the case 40 years ago. So industry wants to see a healthy environment. If you have a healthy environment, you have healthy fish populations. If you have healthy fish populations, fishermen have money in their wallets, and that's important. And that's a good, to me, a good indicator of how healthy your system is. The term environmental activist is mostly reserved for placard-carrying enthusiasts who come from the comfortable inner-city coffee shops, often to champion the cause of the day. Gary Harrisingh is a true environmental hero who has a genuine passion for rebuilding the ecological quality of the Coorong with a vision for his fishery, which is multi-generations into the future. What do I love about what I do? Probably, um, as I get older, uh, and reflecting on my grandfather's experience, I mean, they were good fishermen. They caught a lot of fish, but then again, the fishery was very healthy in those days when they fished. But they had a lot of they had small boats and they had a lot of old gear, and and they lived a pretty hard lifestyle. But they enjoyed what they did. But where I've probably enjoyed the most is is being involved with the industry to try and turn the woes of the Coorong around from a negative to a positive. And probably I won't see the benefit of, the full benefit of those efforts, but my kids' kids will. So I think if, we, if the government and industry uh, stay on the same page with water management issues about managing the Coorong uh, ecology, I think that the next generation and the generation after are going to benefit from a very healthy ecosystem.
my pleasure is, is, is seeing the benefits of our hard work over a long period of time. It's not just about catching fish. It's about looking after and, and this is where uh, my, my grandfather used to have Aboriginals work with him and for him uh, when I was a kid and learned a lot of stuff about watching the weather, watching the landscape, watching the animals, watching the birds. They all tell a story if you can, if you can read it right. But the really interesting thing is that I've never forgotten this as a kid is that if you have healthy environments, you have healthy communities. And that's the cornerstone of this fishery. Gary Harrising is a recognised Ocean Watch master fisherman. And although a recent graduate of that fantastic program, he has spent well over four decades actively pursuing a sustainable and responsible approach to his commercial fishing in one of the most delicate and fragile ecosystems on the planet. Gary Harrising and his beloved Kurong are to be admired and respected as national treasures. This is Fishtales, a seafood podcast. A Deep in the Weeds production, I'm John Sussman. Follow us on Instagram at Fishtales Seafood Podcast or email us at fishtalespodcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay tuned for more tales from beneath the surface of the seafood world every Friday on your podcast app.